0: And welcome to the Downstage Podcast. Happy to be here. I am Alejandra Enciso Dardashti.
1: And I'm David Cotton. Hi, Hi. David. Hi, (laughs)
0: Alejandra.
1: We have a guest, as you can see. She's here already, ready to rock and roll.
0: Oh, my goodness. I wonder who it is for the people who are listening right now.
1: So why don't we tell them? This is DJ Gray, she's a choreographer, most recently worked here in San Diego on a production of 42nd Street at Moonlight Stage Productions. DJ, thanks for being with us.
2: Thanks for inviting me.
0: Thank you, DJ. It's great that thanks to technology, we can talk to her like in time and form and she's in Indiana, we're in San
2: Diego, so. <laughs> right on. That's wonderful, yeah.
1: To get started, I know the show, as we record today, is is now over in in, uh, Vista, California. But can you talk a little bit about uh, what it was like to choreograph 42nd Street?
2: Absolutely. Um, In choreographing the show, I have done the show about uh, 16 times in all over the world and nationally. uh, Dance the Original Choreography by Gower Champion. And in doing so, there's already a structure in place uh, what the choreography is, and I know it inside and out. I wanted to take this opportunity at Moonlight to really create m- it in my own vision without straying too much away because there are some iconic moments that uh, that we don't want to miss when we're watching the show, you know, like when the curtain's rising and you see the excitement of uh, all the tappers and their legs, just their legs are being shown and uh, you don't want to miss that moment and they're doing time steps. So I did a version of a time step and then also uh, there's a, a, a step called the crybaby step uh, it's where the arms are kind of flailing out to the side and it's a very exciting step and it's near the end of the piece. And if it's not there, there's, it feels like there's something missing. So I did a, a lovely homage to homage uh, to Gower and uh, the people that came, you know, after Gower, uh, Randy Skinner uh, also recreated it um, in his vision uh, alongside Gower champions too. So um yeah, that's kind of how I, I took the theme of each number and, and did a little bit of an homage, but really took it uh, to another you know, place, you know, a little bit more uh, with rhythms. I wanted to play with rhythms and a little bit more um, uh, visuals, like uh, but for uh, the dame sequence I put in. Uh, a bunch of the ladies throwing the balls around uh, because it's usually an exercise uh, moment. (laughs) I don't know why they do an exercise moment in the show, but it's just to show like the progression of uh, a dance number that goes from a rehearsal process because the show is about a show within a show. So it shows the rehearsal process. And then the second part is the ladies um, doing an exercise routine in the original then it moves on to the to the men in this very presentational um piece uh speaking about women and dames that's the, the title of the number and then finally uh it concludes with a dame's parade with the ladies coming out one by one and showing off these gorgeous gowns so in the in that progression i i changed the exercise we used to call it the jane fonda moment (laughs) <laughs> and we changed. I changed it up to just having fun and owed to a Busby Berkeley moment because that's what the show is based on. And um, I did more formations and uh, throwing these balls around was just absolutely, I loved it. I thought it was a little risky because I thought, are people going to enjoy this moment? And to hear the reaction in the crowd when it happens uh, told me, yes, they indeed enjoyed that moment.
0: It was great. It was fantastic. And for people that uh, didn't have the opportunity to see any of these productions or when it was on Broadway or any other city, it's great that we had it in our city. And it was so
2: grand
0: and, you know, full of people everywhere that are amazing and different ages. That was also really cool to see.
2: Oh, great. And there's such great local talent as well. I mean, I don't know what you put in the water in that city, but uh, <laughs> tons of talent just coming out of, of the seams. Mm-hmm. We are
1: joined by our other guest uh, today, Keiko Green, playwright. Keiko, great to see you.
3: Hi. I felt so, uh, I felt like I was like intruding. for yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you check my schedule? <laughs>
1: No you're certainly not intruding uh, Keiko is a, this is we're gonna go back and forth between the two of you Keiko this is choreographer DJ Green perhaps mm-hmm. you uh, know her or know of her uh, Keiko I, I just want to ask you this is this is talk about somebody with a busy year you have been <laughs> prolific, prolific with a capital P this year. Uh, tell us what you're doing right now.
3: Yeah, actually David, one of the reasons why I was so bad at replying to your email this week is we are we are this week um in the audition and callback process for a play that I have going up in Minneapolis next year called Hell's Canyon, which is a horror play. So we are we just had our last day of or our first day of callbacks yesterday and I think we're just going to have to have one more day because of the digital nature of our industry now that um there's a little bit of a there's still a little bit of like virtual auditioning that you you kind of have to do too in tandem with the in-person stuff so that's what's been keeping me busy this week
1: Uh, for our listeners in uh, the san diego area you probably know that's our dog barking by the way (laughs) (laughs) he wants to be on the show too uh, Keiko has a, has had a couple of productions here in the San Diego area at the Old Globe Theater, Exotic Deadly, the MSG play, and then at Signet Theater. Um, and you've got things coming up throughout the rest of the year, don't you? Including the Minneapolis thing.
3: Yes. Yeah. So I have two, well, I have two productions that are coming up next winter, like this uh, starting in February. So those are really like hard into getting the script ready for production. Um, And one of those plays actually didn't start writing until June. um, And they programmed it before it was written, which is really kind of nuts. But I was able to workshop it twice within the last few weeks um, in Seattle and then in, in Orange County. And so that one is the one that I really have my eye on that I need to make sure it's ready. I, I think that it, we have like a really solid draft right now, but just trying to get it really ready for a, a production. Um, and then I'm actually going to be back in San Diego um, in uh, at the end of this month because I'm going to be in a little fellow at Signet. So I'll be performing again, which I, I, I really am more of a playwright now, but I'll be back performing. <laughs>
0: Yeah, she does it like almost. You don't direct though, because you said, and I I heard it, an interview that you had in another show that you said that you didn't have like kind of like that direction director brain. But I mean, fabulous actress as well. Very funny. You're a very comedic yeah. actress. It's very, even if it's kind of like dark, what's happening? Yeah, there's still <laughs> this comedic flair, which is super cool, and not many people don't have
3: that. You know what I mean? Even if it's an. <laughs> Well, the dark so, comedy is where is is my sweet spot. I think. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And uh,
0: since we have you both here, DJ, have you ever like as a choreographer? Do you uh, engage at how or have you engaged with the playwright in the in the creative process of putting together a production? And if so, how does that look?
2: Um, yes, um, two two shows that in, involved that one was Spelling Bee on Broadway with James of pine. Um, and, um, and also, so mainly from a director and a, and the playwright was there as well. They wanted very organic movement. So, uh, less choreography things that look like choreography and things that more look like, uh, movement that comes from children. Uh-huh. So having that kind of guidance and that kind of uh, vision, um, helps out quite a bit in, in in filling a blank piece of paper with some ideas and starting to get some structure. So it's really a collaborative um, art form.
1: That's really cool. Uh, one more question for you, DJ. You know, for people who don't know that much about how a choreographer contributes to a show, um, can you tell us a little bit about the process? Um, how do you approach the, the starting point of creating dance for a show?
2: Yeah, um, mostly you start off with uh, the storytelling so that um, your storytelling is clear through the music. The music also leads you as well with the accents or um, the feeling of the piece um, being, you know, a tune or ballad. Um, so that kind of guides you what kind of, uh, movement you're going to be leaning towards and then of course you also lean on your dancers or your actors whoever's in front of you um sometimes in that cl- a collaborative process either what they're going to bring to the piece what their best uh either steps are like in 42nd street i i asked uh ian who's our tapper what are your best steps let's let's do them what's your favorite steps um so we cor- incorporate that so because you really want to enhance uh uh, making the performer the best they can be and let them shine. So there's that to consider as well. But basically, it's it's storytelling. How do you tell this story? How does a number build? And um, what do you want to say throughout the piece? And how 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 do the bodies in space tell that story?
1: Keiko, okay, well, I guess we could ask you the same thing. You know, as a playwright, as an actor, you know, you're working with a team on your productions. Um, do you typically you know, take the lead as the playwright and people follow your lead or how? what's the collaborative process like on your productions?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think it really, it does depend on the project. Um, you know, Exotic Deadly was one where uh, Jessica, we had such a limited amount of time at the Old Globe, actually. It was just kind of, it just felt like a really quick process for what we had to do, even though it was like a 90 minute play for the most part. 95 minutes, maybe it was it was it moved so fast and it had so much um, so many transitions and movement that um, the director, Jessica kind of had to she had to have like a version of it already working completely, you know, kind of semi choreographed and staged in her head before we could. So so with that, I'm kind of like you take the lead and you you really kind of figure out what we're doing. And then I can come in and we can start to like smooth things out. Um, I, I'm always there for table work, but, but an exotic, deadly, I, I stepped away cause I was like, I think I actually might be in the way a little bit um, in that like second, second week or so um, with, with something like Sharon or something, um, you know, a, pl- a play that feels more like a traditional, like capital P play <laughs> where we're doing a lot of table work and a lot of like there's a lot of two-person or three-person scenes um that that goes a little differently of course that was different also because i was in the in the show which i've never done before but um but even if i wasn't wasn't in the play acting i I would probably be there um to answer questions i am a bit of a, um, I'm a, I'm a bit mouthy in the room, I think, for a playwright. Um, I just love to, like, get in the conversations. I love to, ask, you know, if something's not working, I love to be able to ask the actors questions. Um, and, and similarly with what I love to be part of all design meetings, um, I don't need to know about every single detailed question about how much a paint is versus how much another painter like i don't need to know all of that but any kind of like big conceptual thing I, I i love to just be able to be a part of it because you know there's certain moments like in um like in sharon for example there's this part where um in the script it says uh a piece of the ceiling falls at the end of a of a scene and they have a line i can i cuss on here or no
1: you you can cuss with impunity yes okay <laughs>
3: Yes, I, I, yeah, um, yeah, this, a part of the ceiling falls and like the button of that scene is Jake going, this building is a piece of shit. And so that I, I wasn't in the conversation about what we were going to do with that. But they had at one point changed it to because it would be easier and safer to have a part of the wall fall off. And the wall didn't fall off. And so they did it in that that part. It made no sense because it was like, why is the wall falling? Um, And then we tried it in a few different places and it wasn't working and so then i had to come to you know kind of bring to the table okay so the audience might never get this but for us the the reason that it's the ceiling falling is that this woman is the woman that lives upstairs and so there is a kind of a boundary between these two people's lives that is now breaking and that is what you know even if an audience doesn't totally follow that we need to make sure that we're being really deliberate about like why, why there are certain metaphors that are, you know, being theatricalized and into the play. And so, you know, as much as possible, my plays are weird. I like to be a part of the conversation so I can make sure, you know, people are understanding like what the intention is or where something's coming from. It's a good weird,
0: (laughs) really cool, really cool plays. And, um, Regarding MSG, there's a brief, brief ballet sequence with the mom. Oh, my God. It just, it like, like, oh, my God. I love that. I love that play, too.
1: So. So, DJ, uh, how does one become a choreographer?
2: Uh, I fell into it. (laughs) Meaning that I. Is that
1: a time you fell into it?
2: (laughs) I fell into it, um, I just kept being asked to create dances, and um, found that I, I liked it, and um, I just kept being I I pursue it very little, <laughs> and it pursues me. So in a way, um, I realize that's a calling. So <laughs> and and also, I just have to iterate here that I found this passion in dance in San Diego. I went to school at UC San Diego and started dancing. Mm-hmm in college and, uh, found my, my passion was greater than my illustrious career as a swimmer. (laughs) And so, and so I, uh, finished my swimming career at UCSD and dove right into, um, getting my, my MFA in Irvine, but, um, and then I pursued more, more and more, as much as I could of dance uh, since I was new to the process at a adult body, um, and um, that's I think that's how I just started accumulating many many voices, um, and it wasn't impressed on me as as a child to be a certain way, so in a way I'm glad I came to it late in in my body, mind and spirit. <laughs> Is it um, like
0: I've I've heard dancers reference I've been dancing other people's stuff, right? Versus creating your own pieces. When you have to create, is it like a video? Does it come to you? Do you look for other types of inspirations in order to create movement? Or or how does that look versus dancing someone else's
2: stuff? It's, it's good to have different, a lot of different voices in your head. And so not to be in just one discipline. So modern dance, um, you know, African dance, anything that you know, that you can find that kind of helps you be able to tell a story in a, in a in the most clearest way for me. So I will throw myself into a class ballroom dancing, like, how do you dance with a partner? Or how do they hold you? Um, all of that stuff as research. And so um, yeah, you just want to be able to mold into whatever the piece is asking of you.
0: That's amazing.
2: Keiko, do you look for other
0: types of inspirations like a dance class or something in order to inspire you or is it in your head and you're like it needs to come out? Yeah, you know,
3: for me it's interesting um uh how I how my ex- relationship with like audio changes depending on where I am in a process because um People there have been times earlier this year where I've been deep, deep in a in a process where I actually prefer to listen to only like podcasts and audiobooks and things to kind of get me out of my own head so I can listen to other people. But then going back into to two different plays where I'm more on the earlier process, I've been. I, I I actually can't listen to podcasts during that time I can't listen to audiobooks during that time I can only listen to music <laughs> and only music that feels related to that project and um, because it feels like this time to be able to to meditate <laughs> um and and really kind of like you know because the way I like to write is like is to think about what I want to be writing and then just think just let like my mind wander until I feel like it's almost bursting and then sit at the computer. So I never have those days where I'm sitting up in front of my laptop being like looking at a blank page. I only sit down when I'm like ready, when I have something, um, which makes it really, um, I'm sorry, my dog is chasing a squirrel outside. Um, it just makes it just really, uh, um, I I don't know That that way it never feels like a punishment or like I'm doing something wrong. Um, and, and the other thing is I, 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 I go to see everything I can. Um, yeah, I, I see, I see dance, I see plays. I try to go to, I'm, I'm trying to go to see more concerts. I'm just like not very naturally cool enough to go to concerts, but I'm, I'm really trying to get out there. Um, and you know, eventually there's always something that, and that inspires me from, um, even a play that I'm not, that is not necessarily for me, you know, it's, Reminding myself, you know, I watching, you know, like I'm not a big musical person, but watching a musical once in a while, I'm like, oh, yes, it's so much about the entertainment and the joy and not about lecturing and making sure that, you know, whatever you have to say, it ultimately will never get across unless it's, um, unless you're also entertaining the audience along the way. And it's such a great reminder for my own work uh, as I do write contemporary plays, you know. so yeah, I, I try to absorb as much as I can.
0: That's great. Yeah, we need, we need more voices Would like you? yours, definitely.
1: Before we let you both go, uh, we've talked a lot since we started this podcast um, between ourselves and with our guests about where theater is right now and the challenges it's facing. For sure, survival, uh, to be blunt about it. As two people who are heavily invested in the theater, um, what do you think needs to happen for theater to not only survive, but thrive as we go forward? Let's we'll start with you, DJ.
2: Sure. I, I think it's uh, important to have people on stage that um, look like people in the audience, um I think a lot of bodies now have um changed on Broadway where we used to have the typical chorus girl that was you know had to have the certain shape and you know the same thing with the men and um and now our scope is we want to see ourselves on stage and we're not all those tiny you know bodies we we're all different shapes sizes colors backgrounds and I think that's the more that we can relate to what's happening up on the stage and connect connect is, I think, what's going to help us move forward. Keiko, what are your thoughts?
3: Yeah, wow. I I hope you have an hour booked because I'm like, <laughs> man, we, we need to go off for like a, a beer sometime and I'll, I'll let you know all my thoughts. Um, Yeah, I have a lot of, you know, it's it's obviously in a scary place right now. We're hearing, I mean, just recently, I think this last week, we're hearing about Steppenwolf having to lay off a bunch of people. And that's just like the the most recent of, of a string of, mm-hmm. of of theaters like that. Um, I think one thing that I'm noticing, and actually, Steppenwolf is not guilty of this. So maybe this is a bad example, but I, I know a lot of theaters that are um, that are struggling right now. And I and, and I'm a company member at one, which is in Seattle, called Act. Um, and I think that one thing that I've I've noticed is that there has been kind of a disingenuous push towards diversity that i i think that um you know it's like it's one we haven't people are saying that they want to bring in younger people and 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 more diverse audiences but they really own have only for a while they were kind of still only doing the same shows they were just like once in a while casting one black actor in it or an asian actor in it and that just kind of wasn't enough and i think that the audiences that they were trying to bring in saw through that lie and we're just not interested. Um, And so by the time the theaters were like, Oh yeah, we should actually do some really exciting new theater. They were kind of only interested in plays about trauma for a long time. And, and so, and, or, you know, just plays that are so about race in a way that um, is like really, really divisive and, and, and not that there isn't a space for that, but I think that there is just, there's more, there's more to what, like, what BIPOC and LGBTQ playwrights and, and creators are trying to do. That's not just about how angry they are, and um, how traumatized they are. And um, so that that I think has been like a, a really big issue. And now suddenly, you know, as audiences are not coming back so much, or they're having a harder time bringing the audiences back in, you know, I, I think that theater's also, kind kind of tried to overcorrect and then started doing these very gentle pieces of theater, and you know, and I'm like, I don't want that either. I think I think what what it needs to come down to is they need to find pieces that aren't just trying to just cater to what board members or audience members say they want because the truth is that audience members don't know what they want until you mm-hmm. put it in front of them. No one knew that they wanted Angels in America until suddenly they saw Angels in America and they were like, "What the hell is this?" You know. <laughs> So I think that, like, the more that the people in power actually start to, you know, try try to push the boundaries again and actually do, you know, program things that they're 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 passionate about rather than what they think people want, I I, I think that's kind of a huge thing that needs to change. And and number two, sorry, I'm going I am going on my little bit of a rant. Number two, I think that there ha there needs to be some kind of better balance between how many ad administrators are being paid versus how many artists are being paid. I, I of course, I'm so thankful for all of the administrators that work at all these theater organizations, but we're, we saw during the pandemic, people holding on to all of their staff. And meanwhile, the artists were struggling financially. And now on the other side of it, yeah, there are a lot of layoffs at a lot of these organizations, but also if you look at how many artists are actually working Right now, it's so, so low. There's so many solo shows, so many two-handers, so many co-productions, which just means that there's just way less artists who are actually being able to pay the rent doing this thing anymore. Um, so I think that there is a, a huge change in priority that also needs to happen. Um, and I think that we can be inspired by what's happening on Hollywood right now, you know? Um, I think that the artists need to kind of say, you, your, your organization actually doesn't exist without our work. And we demand to be treated responsibly, you know, and respectfully.
1: Yeah, we got to sit down with those beers and cash (laughs) this
3: in. No, I
2: love love a (laughs) rant. Well said, very well said.
1: Keiko Green, DJ Gray, thanks to both of you for coming on today. We uh, really enjoyed it and learned a lot, didn't we, Alejandra?
0: yeah it was great and yeah we love rants here and (laughs) thank you for your honesty and sharing a little bit of your world with us it's great to have you both at the same time it's more exciting we've never done that so that was so (laughs) fun
1: hope you both have a great rest of 2023
2: thank you you
1: too thank you it's time for today's theater trivia question and it is who is According to Americantheater.org, America's most produced playwright at the moment. Answer at the end of the show.
0: But David, did you know that this commercial break is available for sponsorship?
1: I did not know that.
0: Well, there you go. So if any of our listeners would like to feature their company and or products... They can send us an email at info at with the subject line advertising in downstage. And we'll take it from there.
1: Alejandra, I think that's the first time we've had two people on at the same time. Like I kind of like yeah. the energy and the dynamic.
0: Yeah. Did you get a bird, David?
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> here's what happened. Uh, since this is the first time I've done the streaming from a different room in our house and i'm actually downstairs where the bird is so while we were doing the show we've got the dog we got the cat we got the bird we got the fountain outside a lot of ambient uh atmosphere (laughs) i love it
0: um i need to get it i need i needed to get that out of the way (laughs) i was like because i love animals um Yeah, I think it was it was great. I think they both both DJ and Keiko had really amazing input and everything that we asked, but uh, mostly obviously the situation with theater currently. And I agree you need to be really inclusive, like really you need to stop with the quotas. There's this thing there They're now panicking with everything that's happening, and it's really, truly a domino effect because they want to patch it up, and this is a whole process that takes time, and that's why it's also called audience development. If you start panicking and start doing these things, and I loved uh, also what Keiko said regarding um, crises, like I I would see uh, like trauma. I would see these plays about identity crises, like all the time in all cultures. And I'm like, what is this? Right. So it has to be like, how you, how does your board look? How does your leadership look? All of that. And then go um, down, right.
1: All the way to the audience. I not help but think while, especially while Keiko is talking, I see a parallel. And I hope that doesn't go this way between theaters and print journalism, like newspapers, mm-hmm. where newspapers, when they realized they were in big trouble, they went overboard trying to correct and be like the web, and they ended up screwing themselves, essentially. I don't think that's going to happen with theater, but I, I understand what she's talking about, where there's been perhaps you know, an overreaching to where some of the changes they're making seem disingenuous to audiences that they don't respect the intelligence enough of uh, to begin with and that that is a problem
0: or bringing in people that they haven't welcomed ever so you know obviously like you said with the intelligence audience members are going to react and be like i've never been welcomed here why should i start coming now so yes and i don't think it's it's gonna be this thing where, oh, my God, theater is going to disappear. It's just like movies when TV came out or streaming or all these things. People like these different types of experience. We just, you know, see Barbie or Oppenheimer, how people are going and fighting over <laughs> the movies, you know, at the theaters. It's the same thing here. But because of the financial models that many nonprofit theaters uh like practice with the certain subscription base in. then that is why things are also going south because it's it's abruptly taken like the money is abruptly taken or people are just leaving that have the money or are supporting these places so everything else like the domino effect falls down that's why it's very important to have a solid leadership that also looks like the people that live
1: there look right I've talked to a number of theater makers uh, over the last, you know, six to eight months as well, who have said, you know, we need to stop associating Broadway with theater. Not that there isn't theater on Broadway, but that that is the arbiter of everything in theater, because it isn't. As As you and I both know, Broadway is a very different entity from theater in general. And just because The Notebook is opening on Broadway as a musical doesn't mean that that's where... American theater is headed. Not that there aren't some good things on Broadway. Don't get me wrong, but the the issue of making, of helping, and encouraging people to go to the theater is really something that belongs more to every theater in the country that's not Broadway.
0: Yeah, and obviously this also practice of bringing people from New York to San Diego to direct to you know stage to act that's also something that that let's say i don't want to say hurt but i think in um messes up with the process a little bit because like dj perfectly said what's in the water in san diego there's a lot of talent here and uh there's not going to be an opportunity for this talent to develop if they don't give them the opportunity in the stages here that's why they go to LA that's why they go to New York you know cuz there's not enough opportunities sometimes because the castings come from other cities and it's yeah. like wh- why we have it here and if we don't have the caliber here then start creating that caliber and that's why i love what moonlight stage is doing right now at san diego musical theater is doing right now where you see this young aspiring talent being so good, right? And, and it's like, oh, it's nice and refreshing um, to see.
1: You know, before we talk about what we've seen or are going to see, uh, I just want to sound the note of hope, uh, Alejandra. I don't know if you got the email I sent out yesterday, but I found a young woman who's a student of mine at San Diego State. Her dream is to be a theater critic.
0: Amen, <laughs> amen.
1: That, is, that was shocking. That was truly shocking. It isn't just that she wants to be a critic, but that she's in her early 20s, I think, and, and cares that much about theater. Um, because there's this, as you know, there's this great drive to bring younger people into the theater. And you know maybe more of them are interested than we know. Um, and I thought that that was really an exciting thing to hear.
0: It is really exciting. And I think it's also, it's something that is true. Yes, it's hard to find, but they are out there and they do want to write and they do want to to learn and be a part of this community. And, and they even have their own think tanks and their groups and they go out. Um, but it's just, again, a matter of finding them, welcoming them, making the space for them and and, and helping, helping them thrive.
1: So I haven't seen you in person at the theater in a while. So where have you been? What have you been doing?
0: I, find, I I caught up because again I I've been out of town um for short trips and I was getting backed up on my theater watching but um I finally saw Evita um I was impressed it was it was pretty good it was pretty good the ensemble again that it, it the ensemble really is amazing they they're so good and um I'm happy that they got extended all the way to October 1st for people who are listening and and having have not caught the show i got a couple of comments dms on social media saying like oh i've never seen a show at Signet before and i was like well now is your chance i saw picasso it's closing um also this weekend at new village arts i had seen picasso 10 years ago i think 10 years ago at at the rep um herbert is a really i like how he um shows or showcases his um plastic artist talents by painting and drawing like that. I think that's a really cool add to the show. And I went to the opening night of Mugre last night in, um, onstage playhouse in Chula Vista. So happy opening to them. It's a new play by Salomón Maya. Pretty cool. Pretty cool too. Uh, review coming up. (laughs) Um, it needs, I think, a, a, a little a, a little polish, right? Um, but it's it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's a it's it centers around a car wash, so I liked it. I like I like the 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 little spunk that the play had. What about you?
1: You know, I don't think I've been to anything since our last podcast. I was caught up, and there haven't been a lot of openings. Mugre is, I think, the only one in the last. Two weeks, not surprisingly, because we've had the holiday and so forth. Mm-hmm. But a show that I talked about last episode that I'm going to see uh, next week is um, the Old Globe station of Cabaret. And even though I've seen Cabaret many times, you know, it, it is a show that I, I I love. I love the music. I love the darkness of it. Um, there are so many different iterations of Cabaret. I don't think a lot of people know that that there are at least three or four that i'm aware of ways of doing it and i'm curious to see what uh, the old globe does with it um signet theater which uh staged evita which alejandra has mentioned they did a cabaret last year that was probably the best i've ever seen so i don't know if the globe can top that but we'll find out in a few days are you going to see that I am.
0: I'm not seeing it on opening, but but yeah, I'm catching it. I think a week later, because that's another thing I do, guys. I I love uh, double booking myself <laughs> or triple booking myself, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm seeing this other show.
1: And you heard Keiko uh, when she was joining us, talking to us about August Osage County, which uh, is being produced by a company here called Backyard Renaissance. And as we record this today, this was opening night for that show. And if you've never seen August Osage Co- County, or you've seen only the movie, this can be a pretty wrenching three hours in the theater that might remind you of your worst family get-togethers.
0: Oh my God, don't scare me. I don't have any references per usual.
3: So uh,
0: I don't know if I should like run and, and watch the, the movie with Meryl Streep or, or just like stay clean. I will <laughs> like say a this, campus. About it. It,
1: it's a great opportunity for actors to show their chops. Because, I mean, there's one main part, uh, you know, the matriarch of the family, but it's a huge cast and almost every character has some kind of drama or trauma (laughs) attached to them. Um, So, you know, it can be a real acting showcase for uh, talent. And I think that's what I'm looking forward to seeing the most. And there are some San Diego's most accomplished and busiest actors are in this cast. So. We'll talk about it a little bit more. Hopefully, both of us. uh, Well, we're going both going tonight when we uh, on our next show.
0: It's going to be a very fun night, I feel. I feel that there's going to be a lot of colleagues and it's going to be fun.
1: Well, we've had fun today. Hope you've had too. Thank you so much, as always, for joining us on the Downstage podcast.
0: Thank you so much. And now we are on iTunes, David. So, yay! yay! Finally on iTunes so there's no excuse
1: now <laughs> catch us there we'll talk to you next time bye-bye
0: bye-bye
1: let's answer our trivia question for the day which is according to AmericanTheater.org, who is america's most produced playwright right now the answer is lynn nottage whose plays include intimate apparel sweat and Crumbs from the Table of Joy, all of which have been produced in San Diego, among other places. Uh, she's received two Pulitzer Prizes for her drama, one for her play, Ruined, and the other for Sweat. Downstage is a production of the San Diego Theater Critics Circle. Her co-hosts, David Codden, and Alejandra Enciso and Dardashti.